This is The Feed, York Region's only news magazine dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here. You're listening to The Feed. I'm Ann Romer. On the show, the director of The Real, George Michael, New Horizons Seniors Program, and the former homeless musician paying it forward. But first... Let's go to the X. Oh, baby. Let's go to the X. Come and celebrate Toronto and do everything you want at the X. Oh, I can't get that song out of my head, but why would I? Let's just go to the X. The CNE opens next Friday and runs until September the 4th. Plenty to see and do, experience and eat. Joining us with a tour of the Canadian National Exhibition 2023 is CNE CEO Daryl Brown. Daryl, welcome to the show. It is so great to have you with us. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So September the 5th, 1879, the first Toronto Industrial Exhibition opened up, and the focus was on agriculture, industry, and the arts. Oh, how things have changed. You know, things have changed, but in a way, they they haven't, because we still focus on agriculture and the arts and business and industry. So um, it's it's nice to see that we manage to preserve tradition and do new things at the same time. What is it that you think will draw massive crowds this year? Well, we've got a few few things that are that are a bit atypical. One thing is um, something that we're doing already uh, or, or have been doing prior to the, the opening of the fair, and that's the Pink Floyd exhibition, um, which is exceptional in and of itself and maps, you know, the seven decades that Pink Floyd has touched upon. Um, and that's a bit of a different arrangement because people have to either, either, either buy a ticket to Pink Floyd and they get into the CNE or they can uh, purchase a, a, a ticket at the CNE because it's not uh, a free entry like most of our other activities. So that's exceptional in and of itself. But then we've got some new and wonderful rides, including the Super Wheel, which is 150 feet tall. It's the largest wheel that's ever been uh, in Toronto and will give an exceptional view, lovely air-conditioned compartments so people can chill out in the middle of a hot day. So that's going to be lots of fun as well. There's also a new monster skateboarding compound. Yeah, so that's going to be located in the band shell, and people are going to be able to watch, uh, you know, wonderful tricks, the skateboarders doing their, their half pikes and the like, so that's going to be there all the time, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, people get to come in and uh, see see what's happening there, and then hopefully come in the night and enjoy the band shell concerts. I'm really interested in this, a new Vegas-style waterfront fountain show. Can you explain how fountains can dance? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we, we, we have a tradition, and it goes back decades. In fact, I guess really the early 1900s was when we first started programming the Water Channel. But for, for years, we did things like Aquarama, which, you know, the acrobatic uh, um, uh, on the water with the speedboats and the, the boards and the like. But we wanted to do something different this year, but still involve the Water Channel. So we, we looked and uh, found a, a, a lovely array of fountains that can shoot water up, up to 100 feet in the air and uh, operate in tandem and in design and also in conjunction with music and laser lights. So we're doing it during the day, and obviously there's not going to be much effect from the lighting during the day, but in the night it's going to be absolutely spectacular because there will be the music, there will be the, uh, the combination of what the fountains are are doing plus the lights that are bouncing off the water so it's going to be a lot of fun and from vegas style water to 
kind of Vegas-style ice, if you will. Elvis has entered the building. I love that. Yeah, well, you know, people kind of missed the skating show. That was the feedback we were getting over the last four years. When we haven't had it, they were uh, waiting with bated breath for it to return. So thankfully, Elvis is available. I think he he had been injured for a little bit of time earlier in the year, and we were worried that, uh, that there might be issues but he's healthy he's going to be there eight you know all he's here now and and for the remainder of the fair all 18 days it's going to be wonderful that that one's looking at sort of music history on ice and of course there's always some acrobatics that go with that and there's a gaming garage it's sponsored by intel what's that about well, we've been doing the gaming garage now for five years, and um, it just gets larger each year. And it, it you know, there's uh, competitions where people can enroll and compete with other gamers, but there's also vintage games that people can have a lot of fun with, just walk in and play, uh, including some uh, vintage pinball that that is actually being supplied by the, the the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland uh, that will be there. So there's lots of um, gadgets and games. And then on top of that, we also have a, an innovation section, which is we used to separate it out where we had the gaming garage and the innovation garage, and we kind of melded it together last year. So there's something for everybody. And Intel's a new sponsor this year on this, so it's uh, it'll be a, an interesting experience and I think a little bit different. It, it used to be AMD, and now uh, Intel stepped in. So we'll mm-hmm. see how that goes again every day. And you mentioned something for everyone. So this is universally loved. It is a fan favorite. Super dogs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you can't go wrong. Uh, this is one of the most predictable things about the fair is that there's going to be a lineup to get in because every show is well, you don't buy tickets for it, but it's sold out. It's full attendance. And the dogs are, are, are a lot of fun. And, you know, uh, every, it's just it's a must-see every year. So we expect the same kind of response. We've also got something interesting. We did it last year, but we didn't publicize it a lot. It, it, we call it um, a trip through 103. It's kind of like, um, a, you know, a, a high without being on drugs. Yeah, you walk into this room, and there's this fantastic translucent webbing spread throughout the room, and and uh, an array of light projected that almost looks psychedelic and into music. And we're going to have Doctor Draw on the weekends playing um, fantastic violin pieces while you're sitting there, kind of chilling out and looking at this amazing spectacle. It's really uh, quite uh, the people that that saw it last year were really taken with it so we wanted to bring it back so that's another experience that i hope people get to see and speaking of music one of my favorite beatles song ticket to ride let's talk about the rides this year so what stands out well as i say we're 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 going to have the super wheel uh, and uh that is going to be an experience in and of itself uh, it's, uh, you know, included with your ride passes, so uh, you can get into that uh, air-conditioned compartment and see the entire cityscape, so that's going to be a lot of fun. There's another couple of, uh, we're, we're going to have in total 
I think, 61 rides this year. Last year we had 56. There's a couple of new ones coming up um, as well. Uh, so there, you'll, you'll have some new experiences there to have fun with. And then, of course, you know, there's some of the old uh, regulars like the Euroslide and uh, lots of fun to have on the, on the Midway. Be- Last year it was incredible. People, for some reason, just stayed on the midway and stayed on the midway and stayed on the midway it was really um impressive the uh the willingness to, to line up and and just uh, wait and have have a lot of fun there if you build it they will come so let's talk about some of the old standbys as you mentioned so my memory and and, and i've been to the x you know every decade of my life my favorite ride was the flyer i don't know if you remember that it's it was a rickety old but well yeah. but but very safe uh, roller coaster is there anything like that today well first of all i'm glad you mentioned the flyer because we we are we've restored uh, i don't know if you remember the sign that was on the flyer on the on the side of the flyer which basically just said flyer mm-hmm. but it was in big letters and so we've restored those letters and they're going to be on the grounds probably at opening ceremonies in, in front of the stage, but they're going to be shown as a, sort of a, a memory for, uh, for uh, that, those, what, 56 years, I think, um, that the, the flyer was up and running. Um, so yeah, that, that will be there as memorabilia. And we do have a new ride, and I'll tell you, I don't have the name in front of me right now that's uh, more of a roller coaster kind of experience that's going to be introduced this year. So there will be something to, uh, to get you to be, uh, you know, raising those arms and holding your breath. <laughs> and screaming, <laughs> but screams of joy. That's, that's it, that's it. And so plenty of others like the octopus and, and, and you know, where you, you drop and you're up and you're down and drop zone. Everybody wants to have their stomach sort of left somewhere else. Yeah, I, you know, I've I'm, I've gotten to the stage where where I'm probably more of a Ferris wheel guy than the. Uh, I I remember when I was when I was a kid, there was one called the Rocket where you'd get in and it would be spinning around and also uh, you, you you would be turning in a circle with within it. Unfortunately, I was so slim that you, and you could control it with a with a pedal on the bottom, except I'd slide up, so I'd be upside down for the whole ride. <laughs> and you paid the price you know, for it. Good. Good memories, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Can we talk a little bit more about the CNE band shell? Amanda Marshall, Jan Arden, Miss Dion Warwick. Wow, superstars. Yeah, you know, it's it's we try and we try and mix it up obviously and there's a, so much to to, to try and capture with 17 concerts uh, across the 18 days. Um, so, of course, Dion, what can you say about Dion? I mean, she's now uh, heading for 83, but still performing, and uh, her voice is still strong and wonderful. So, you know, I, I, I don't know, the moment you wake up and put on your makeup, you have to head out and listen to Dion Warwick. But we've got, you know, Shafkat Ali, which is uh, a Bollywood quite famous singer who uh, will attract a crowd. William Prince is really on on top of things these days. He was doing the opening for Willie no- Willie Nelson's annual concert, and you know, just released an album a little while ago. And I think it's hitting his peak on the on the countryside. And this is the 50th anniversary of hip hop, so we we wanted to get something in there on the hip hop side. So we've got Shaclair and Cardinal Official and Hawaii Mighty. There's I think there's something for everyone. There's soca. There's reggae. Uh, and then we're going to do the entire 
entire Dark Side of the Moon album on on September 2nd, and that really is in tandem with that Pink Floyd exhibition that I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, Dark Side of the Moon was on the Billboard charts, the uh, 200 chart, for almost 18 years. There is no album that will ever come close to that, and no album that even comes close to it, looking at uh, the other bands. Um, it was a, a feat that, well, we're in a different you know, we're in a different generation now. You don't really talk about albums like we used to. But uh, that will be an experience in and of itself. So lots of... And, and then some some different things. We've got a drag extravaganza with uh, Tainomi Banks on August 29th. So that'll be on the band show as well. Lots of fun. Last question, and it's a quick one. Food. Every year there's something new introduced at the CNE, something spectacular and crazy and crunchy and weird. What is yeah. this year's crazy, crazy menu item at the CNE? Well, you know, we keep that pretty close to the chest. We like <laughs> to hold that back, uh, you know. But but what what you, uh, th- there's um, this concoction that is um, how do I describe it? Uh, it's part corn dog, mm. it's part peanut butter, it's part deep in 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 in, in butter and um, uh, and crusted with lots of uh, additions on top. Um, it's it, there's even a pickle in it, <laughs> and so um, that's something to experience. I think you're just going to have to uh, you know just taste it and give your own verdict. And, um, you know, we had ketchup and mustard ice cream last year, but there's, there's some new varieties that people are going to be able to, to sample that um, uh, I, I haven't had the chance to sample yet, so I can't give you the verdict. Mm, let's go to the X. Every good reason and more to do that. Thank you, CNE CEO Daryl Brown. Just great to speak with you. Hey, wonderful to speak with you. Thanks for the interest. Coming up next on the feed, preventing vehicle theft. Do you have a story idea for the feed? Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of the feed coming up. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back to the feed. Oh my gosh, we are almost halfway through August. Hopefully your pace of life has slowed a bit this month. Stop and smell the roses, de-stress, decompress, have a little fun. But things never grind to a halt in vibrant cities like Vaughan. So much is happening now and still to come. Let's check in with Mayor Stephen Del Duca and catch up on all things Vaughan and maybe catch our collective breath. <laughs> Welcome Mayor Del Duca. Ha- <laughs> Happy August, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Anne. It's great to be back with you. You have been so busy. You're fresh off a big announcement earlier this week about key fob protective bags in an effort to fight auto theft. Talk to us about this. Yeah, for sure. Over the last number of months, I know that I've certainly heard from people in the community. I know other members of council have as well. You know, we know Vaughn's a very safe place. It's always been safe. I'm confident it will always remain safe. But unfortunately, there's been a pretty sharp, I'll say, uptick in the amount of... um, property crime, in particular car or auto theft. We we hear about this everywhere we go. I've heard about it from neighbors, from family and friends, uh, certainly on social media. 
Uh, so we wanted to take, a, I'll say, a tangible step to help protect our residents and help protect their their property, which, you know, people work hard. They they earn their pay. They they want to buy a vehicle. They they should expect or that they, they can keep and maintain that vehicle without the threat of increasingly sophisticated criminals trying to steal it. So we've we've gone forward, council approved an initiative I brought forward a number of weeks ago uh, to provide up to about 13,000 of these key fob bags or pouches. Uh, it's a small little uh, fabric um, pouch that you can actually take your key fob, the thing that you use to unlock and potentially start your car depending on the vehicle, uh, that's all about electric signals or electronic signals that go back and forth between the car and the key fob. You can put the key fob in this pouch. When these sophisticated criminals show up on your driveway and try to access the signal, which is how they're doing this, they're so technologically advanced now, uh, the key fob pouch actually helps interrupt them trying to uh, access that signal, and therefore they can't open or, or start the car, and, and it helps protect uh, people. So we're making about 13,000 of these available, uh, one per person at our recreation or community centers. They're going to be uh, divvied up evenly amongst our five city wards, and we are hoping that this will help. And, and it shows, I hope, our residents that we take this seriously and we want to help them. Let's talk about Again, still with the idea of autos, the Ontario Vehicle Innovation Network Demonstration Zone. What is that? I believe it's coming to the Vaughan Metropolitan <laughs> Centre. But beyond that, please explain. <laughs> yeah, so we look, we know in Vaughan, and this is part of what I ran on last year to become mayor, that we need to continue to build public transit and active transportation and roads and widen them and the bridges and all of those kind of hard things, like the physically... Uh, you, you know, those infrastructure projects are absolutely required, and we are building those, and we are advocating for more public transit dollars to come to Vaughan. But we also know that we do have to take advantage of, I'll say, technology, smart technology, to help nudge our commuters, uh, you know, to look at other opportunities for how they can get from point A to point B. And so along with uh, OVIN, uh, the Ontario Vehicle Innovation Network, and uh, our partners in the city of Markham, the provincial government came forward with an announcement and an investment uh, to help support uh, this uh, this demonstration zone in Vaughan. It, it's got to be the mobility solutions that we need for the future in a city that's growing as rapidly as ours. It has to be a really good balance between the infrastructure I referenced a second ago and giving people the opportunity to make choices, be aware of those choices, uh, whether that's uh, you know changing their patterns around the time of day that they might decide that they want to go from point A to point B or looking at other initiatives. And in Ontario, we have a really good track record of embracing innovation as it relates to the transportation sector. We certainly do here in, in Vaughan as well, where the auto industry is critically important to our economy. And so I was delighted to see Minister Vic Fideli on behalf of the provincial government here to make that announcement. We're very supportive, and our team here in Vaughan is excited to be part of this. You have to help me with this one. How does it actually work? Uh, how does the demonstration zone yeah. actually work yeah. itself? Yeah, yeah. Well, so what, what, what we're, yeah, what we're doing is inviting small and medium, or they, I guess, will be inviting small and medium-sized businesses to come into the tem demonstration zone and, I'll say, test out some of the technologies that they're looking at. Ah. Uh, there's a wide range of technology. So, for example, and, you know, I, and I don't, and I'm going to tell you, I don't know if this one's specifically included in this demonstration zone, but in my past life when I was transportation minister, we were at that point, we were talking about, you know, you wake up in the morning and you decide it's time to go to work and, you know, you know, you've got to get on the, 
the bus or the subway or the BRT or the GO train, you know, having, having full information through your smartphone that shows you exactly what's happening out there when your train or your bus or, your, or whatever it is is going to arrive, exactly what the traffic conditions look like. It, this is just one example. It helps empower the commuter and give them more information about the choice they're going to make. So maybe on a given day I'm planning to drive to get to work, but I see there's a, you know, a horrible, let's say a horrible amount of gridlock. Sadly, that's too often the case. Maybe I'm going to get on my bike. Maybe I'm going to walk, depending on how close the commute is. Maybe I'm going to use public transit. So it's just one example of trying to empower commuters so they have all the information in front of them. So there's lots of companies out there, including in Vaughan and in Markham, that are trying to, uh, excuse the pun now, test drive this mm -hmm. technology. And this specific demonstration zone is physically where they're going to get that chance with funding from the province and from a number of our partners that are involved in this from the private sector. So empowering the, the, the person who needs to go from point A to point B, and traffic conditions can certainly be a big barrier. That leads me to my next area of discussion. Support for businesses during construction, particularly on Woodbridge Avenue and Major Mac, the Vaughn Business and Entrepreneurship Center has developed an online resource for businesses impacted by construction. This is really challenging for an awful lot of people, those who are driving trying to get somewhere, but also businesses trying to stay alive. Yeah, it is for sure. I mean, we I think we've all... Uh, I live not too far away from Woodbridge Avenue, and I've certainly spoken with business owners there. I know the local councillor in that case, Fulton Sesta, has also heard very loudly and clearly from local businesses that first had to go through COVID, and just as they felt like they were kind of coming out of that and seeing a bit of daylight, uh, they got hit with a major infrastructure project that's very necessary and is going to produce a remarkable and beautiful final product but it's made it really hard for customers to access the, stop, the, sh the shops that we have along Woodbridge Avenue in a market lane. And I know that um, our team here at the Vaughn Business and Entrepreneurship Center, with a VBAC as we call it, they've worked hard to develop this online toolkit that will give or, or provide access to small business owners who might be directly disrupted or impacted by infrastructure or construction work that we need to do, uh, showing that they have support to help move some of their operations if they can online through e-commerce solutions. We have something called the Starter Company Plus program. It's a grant opportunity of up to $5,000. Uh, there's also, I believe, provincial funding in that, but we get to help administer it. So it's helping potential applicants navigate through that application process. So I think we're drawing on the lessons learned through the Woodbridge Avenue experience to make this just a little bit easier as we go forward. And I'll tell you right now, there's some major infrastructure work that's now planned for, the, for Islington through Kleinberg, through the, the old village of Kleinberg, where again, not unlike Woodbridge Avenue, we have you know a number of small businesses there that do re you know they do rely on foot traffic or vehicular traffic coming through the area. So, you know, full credit to our staff at the city who are trying to get ahead of that and learn those lessons and try to do better for our business owners as we go forward. Yeah, we want businesses to continue to not only survive but to thrive. That is for sure. Absolutely. So, Mayor Del Duca, from VBEC to ACP, Alouette Common Park, that opened earlier this week. You were there. <laughs> Can you give us a walk through the park? Can you give us a verbal description of what this park is all about in Ward 4? Yeah, I was so excited to be there along with Councillor Chris Ainsworth from Ward 4 earlier in the week to open this beautiful new park. It's got a beautiful, large uh, junior playground area, what we call a, a senior playground area as well. There's a large shade structure with seating for residents who we hope are going to, and, and frankly, I know already are going to be using that park. There's walkway lighting. 
Uh, there's an open lawn area for unstructured play activities, as they call it. Uh, so there's tons of amenities that are embedded in this beautiful new Alouette Common Park. Uh, we heard from residents that there were there was a need for, for more uh, uh, park programming in that particular neighborhood, and we've managed to deliver it. And look, this is just the latest addition to what I think are some of the very best parks in any city in this entire country. We have you know, something like 230, 240 parks across our city, uh, over 600 hectares of parkland throughout Vaughan, so many playgrounds, splash pads. I know they're really popular this time of year when the weather gets just a little bit warmer. We've got tennis courts and basketball courts. We have soccer fields. We actually have more pickleball coming online real soon. So it's an exciting part of the portfolio of services that the city provides, and I know that Councillor Ainsworth and the rest of our local councillors, they work really hard to make sure that our residents have those park amenities close to home. And Alouette Common Park's the latest and greatest example. You know, there are many residents in the city of Vaughan who do fantastic and spectacular things, all in an effort to make it a better place in which to live. The Order of Vaughan deadline is coming very soon for nominations. Yeah, very soon. Friday, September 1st is the deadline. This is something that was started uh, about 12 years ago, maybe 11 years ago, by my predecessor, uh, Maurizio Bevilacqua. And it's an opportunity to for people to be nominated to receive this highest honor from the city. People who've, I'll say, gone above and beyond to make Vaughn, which is already a really incredible community, just that much better. Uh, it recognizes individuals who've made a contribution to the city in a, a wide variety of categories, whether that's public service, equity and diversity, athletics, accessibility. And I, I can remember being at the very first installation of the Order of Vaughn more than a decade ago when I was serving in a different capacity. And it was such a nice event, such a nice ceremony to be part of. And I've seen through the years the individuals, many of whom I know, uh, who've been honored in this way. And it's, you know, we have so many deserving people in this city. So I'm hoping that there's a great, a great list of nominees and, and ultimately that those who make this decision will be able to select from a great group of individuals who deserve this honor. Mayor Stephen Del Duca, like the song says, see you in September. I've enjoyed our <laughs> August chat, and maybe you and I will play a game of pickleball at some point. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah, I look forward to it. That's spoken as a true politician. Maybe. <laughs> as long as there are no cameras there. Yeah, I'm, it's okay. I'm, oh, I'm totally with you on that. <laughs> Thanks for everything. <laughs> Thank you, Anne. Bye-bye. Cheers. Next, encouraging job numbers here in Ontario, Jim Lang and MPP Vic Fideli with The Breakdown. Well, some great news for people in Ontario in July. Ontario manufacturing job sector saw an increase of 7,800 jobs, which is great for the province and great for the economy to talk more about it. Thrilled to be joined by Vic Fidelli, the Minister of Economic Development, Job Creation and Trade. Vic, how are you? Jim, I'm wonderful. Great to speak with you today. Yeah, and, and it's 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 great news. I mean, you know, Ontario is growing at a, a rapid clip. We just saw the country pass $40 million, and to see this amount of jobs created is good for everybody. Yeah, we're very excited here in Ontario. I mean, our, our uh, companies, our manufacturers, our businesses, they have hired 700,000 people working since uh, 2018, since we were uh, elected, actually. Um, uh, and that includes over 50,000 new manufacturing jobs. And, and every day uh, uh, we hear more and more and more companies 
who have contacted us and said, I like your sales pitch. We're coming to, we're coming to Ontario. And Vic, the timing is actually interesting because one thing I think a lot of Canadians, a lot of people living in Ontario realize is during the pandemic, we do need to have our own base of manufacturing here in the province. You never know what's around the corner and be able to produce things in this province is good for everyone. We're seeing so many uh, products being reshored here into Ontario. Uh, you know, something that everybody would know, pine saw. You know, who doesn't love pine saw? It's now being made here in Ontario. These are the kinds of things that are, are coming home uh, back to Ontario. A lot of manufacturers are making their own components now. I've been visiting uh, injection molded uh, molding companies right across Ontario who are springing up, uh, making, uh, making uh, the widgets that go into bigger products. We're making them right here. And Vic, I do like the concept of the regional development program because it's important to find the Timmins, North Bay, Chathams, uh, Pembrokes of the province having manufacturing there, not all based in the GTHA. Yeah, very exciting. We have three different programs, the so one in the north, one in the east part of Ontario, and one in the southwestern part of Ontario. And then we really have one that's for all of Ontario, including the GTHA. And this is really fueling uh, innovation, competitiveness, advanced manufacturing, using AI. We're, we're just, uh, you know, quite frankly, firing on all cylinders here in Ontario. And it all started, Jim, when we lowered the cost of doing business by $8 billion a year. You know, the, we, we took a haircut on government revenue that first uh, short while uh, by reducing our WSIB payments by 50%, $2.5 we We put an accelerated capital cost allowance, which means people can write off their new equipment in years, saves them a billion. Um, the list goes on and on and on. We lowered electricity rates for industrial and commercial by $1.3 billion. So we, we, we lowered our revenue knowing that this will spur growth and bring us more revenue at the end of the day. So we started, we started with revenue of $154 billion, and today the province's revenue is $204 billion. So, you know, taking a, taking a step back, lowering taxes, lowering our, our original uh, intake of cash just ballooned our cash. Speaking with Vic Fidelli, the Ontario Minister of Economic Development, Job Creation and Trade, and I'm intrigued by the new Memorandum of Understanding with the State of Michigan. How does that help Ontario and help job creation in the years to come? It tries to level the playing field. It's a really exciting opportunity for um, for companies in, uh, we did one in Maryland first, and then very recently we did one in Michigan. It opens the door for Ontario companies to bid on Michigan's um, uh, uh, improvement projects, but then it opens the door and allows Michigan companies to come in here, as they could already, and bid on uh, our projects here. So um, it really encourages job creations in both jurisdictions, um, uh, like electric vehicles and supply chains, and we're really... Uh, looking to promote increased trade, uh, more investment, job creation, and, and, and we'd love to do these with more states. 
Yeah, I drive a hybrid vehicle because I think about the environment. I think about the cost of gas and I'm excited and intrigued by the capability in the future of Ontario building so many batteries, EV batteries, that will be the future for transportation in the country. Well, I got to tell you, doing that Volkswagen deal was uh, 12 months long, almost to the day. Um, And we had several trips to Germany. They had several trips here. We just really laid it out that at the bottom, at the bottom line, it's all about our people, the people of Ontario, the workers that we have, the talent that we have, uh, was was what the deciding factor was. Yes, we have the mega sites. We, we graduate sixty five thousand STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math grads every year. Um, we you know we have that auto ecosystem or the number two automaker in North America. All those are important, but it came right down to the, to the understanding the people of Ontario and how hardworking we are. It's almost a, a good problem to have, but there's so much influx of population to the province and so much job creation, um, and, and it's being spread all over the province, Vic. I know for speaking, a lot of communities in Northern Ontario where we spend a lot of time in the summer, they just need a place for these workers to live. And how do you, with your portfolio, work with the other province and other partners to get these people a place to rent and live as the manufacturing spreads all across the province? Yeah, that's a great uh, question, Jim. We're working with the mayors uh, all throughout the north. Um, Soon, the Association of Municipalities of Ontario will gather in London where we'll meet with the mayors and talk about, let's uh, get you uh, opening up lands in your communities. Uh, You can't, uh, you've got to, you've got to open up the opportunities. You can't be standing in the way of development. Uh, You know, I'll give an example. Um, We had uh, two big hospitals in North Bay and uh, both were amalgamated into a brand new hospital maybe 15 years ago. So the old hospitals were, were demolished. On one site right now uh, is a long-term care facility being built with uh, 160 beds. The other site is still empty. The neighbors have got together and have been doing uh, blocking any kind of development on that land. It's been 15 years now. It's an entire city block that's just demolished. There's like rubble there, and they would rather have that than a new housing development. So, you know, the municipalities, the province, we've got to be able to, we've got to be able to deal with these issues and with the neighbors. So, I, I know, uh, you know, you've heard the expression NIMBY. It's in mm-hmm. some communities that's turned into bananas. Build absolutely nothing anywhere near anything. What? <laughs> that's what it's come to in some communities. So, you know, we'll look. We'll look uh, at all of these various communities. And Vic, the, the thing that scri- I scratch my head about is we're talking about a, a, a block of rubble that's not green space. It's not farmland. It's not near a, a conservation area or nope. anything. You're just talking about rubble. And I don't know how any housing advocate wouldn't think that's a good place to build something because we need places for people to live with, to work in these companies. I know it's uh, you know it, they talk about noise, and I, I can think of. You know, it, it's not far from where I used to live in, in North Bay. I could, I, I would, would be able to walk there. It's only like six blocks. So it's in the middle of neighborhoods. It's not anywhere mm. near anything else other than completely 100% surrounded by houses uh, for tens of blocks either direction. 
but that's the this mentality that uh, that we have uh, created. That uh, we have this nimbyism, and we've got to overcome it. You know, you have your home and your perch to to be able to to uh, offer your thoughts from. But other people need that home too. We need a million and a half homes built here and. In Ontario, because we are going to continue to attract economic development like you've never seen before. Look at the auto sector, $25 billion in brand new auto deals done in Ontario. $3 billion in life sciences uh, done in the last three years in Ontario. Countless billions in the tech sector have come to Ontario from places like India and California and all around the world. We are uh, uh, an absolute uh, magnet for business to be attracted uh, here into Ontario from all over the world. Well, that way we all win. Vic Fidelli, the Ontario Minister of Economic Development, Job Creation and Trade, I thank you for your time. All the best the rest of the summer, what's left of it, and uh, here's some more jobs being created in the province. Thank you, Jim. We're on it, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again. Kevin Frankish now with details of the Federal Seniors Program. With an aging population coupled with the current mental health crisis of loneliness, today's seniors face a world where they may feel they don't belong. A new program called New Horizons for Seniors is working to try and remedy this. MP for Richmond Hill, Majid Johari, joins me right now to talk about this program. Hello, Majid. Hi, Kevin. How are you? I am well. So tell me all about New Horizons. Yeah, well, uh, first of all, thank you very much. Uh, the, the New Horizon for Senior program overall has two specific streams, both uh, focus on helping seniors by seniors. We have a stream which is called community-based projects, and these are um, focused within a community, and then there are pan-Canadian projects, which is focused on programs that, you know, help seniors across Canada. The specific program that we are talking today uh, is New Horizon for Senior uh, Community-Based Projects. So tell me, how does, how does that work? Well, it was very interesting how you opened it up by saying with, uh, with the aging population facing, you know, mental health stress, loneliness, and, uh, you know, this, uh, the home care support, etc. So the, the New Horizon for Senior program basically grants funding up to about $25,000 to uh, organizations who help uh, facilitate program for seniors who are dealing with loneliness, for seniors who are dealing with um, uh, wanting to connect, uh, seniors who need support, seniors who uh, are trying to, you know, improve the feeling of belonging, all of those, uh, all of those initiatives are the one that that really is the focus of this program, helping seniors by seniors. So, and and I'm I'm reading here it says the project should aim to promote volunteerism, engage seniors in mentoring, raise awareness about elder abuse, support social yeah. participation and inclusion. I mean, it, it runs the gamut of yeah. really, you know, of really speaking to issues that are impacting seniors today. Yeah, well, seniors has been the cornerstone of our, uh, you know, communities for for many many years, and this is the time that we really, both as a as a society, both as a, a government at all levels, that we really need to go back. And they they're dealing with a number of challenges, 
and uh, whether it's for them to, you know, um, to be able to help other seniors. There are a lot of seniors um, that still feeling, you know, well and they're they're fit and they really want to give back. So we're going, we're we're supporting them. We are also have a lot of seniors that um, they can play a mental role uh, for for various uh, various you know uh, civil programs, civic programs that they could they could help. Um, elder abuse, as you know, in the community specifically, um, financial abuse is rampant. And in in our in Richmond Hill, we've had partnership with um, York Region Police and a number of. New Horizon for Senior um, organization, organization who's applied for that to be able to provide that type of education around elder abuse, around you know financial financial abuse, around physical abuse, and um, you know also um, providing an opportunity for seniors to be able to participate in social gathering and you know in, in and be included as part of the you know, the, the ethnic diversity that we have. A number of uh, senior organizations in Richmond Hill, um, now they're all coming together and they're running multi-ethnic uh, programs as well as, you know, their own, their own programs. So we have Italians who are inviting Chinese, who are inviting Persians, who are inviting Koreans, um, you know, and, uh, you know, the Caribbeans, that they're all inviting each other and they're expanding whether it's sharing food, sharing stories, you know, sharing some arts, um, and that's 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 really um, you know a way of uh, all mm. all communities coming together and taking about uh, taking care of the seniors. How's the response been so far? Uh, the response been amazing. Um, this is my eighth year that I'm uh, privileged to be representing uh, uh, this beautiful writing. And every year, our number of applications has increased, and uh, a number of different organizations, whether they are for-profit, they are non-for-profit, uh, whether they are volunteer-based, now number of organizations is also uh, also expanding, and the, the the response has been great, and we, we are now seeing organizations who are um, have access to a lot of youth volunteer are also applying for this because what they could do, um, they, they can support the seniors who are, uh, you know, uh, working with, with the other seniors through the youth arm uh, in, in helping facilitate a lot of stuff, such as the technology piece, such as, you know, um, uh, movement of a lot of stuff, organization. So it's really bringing the community together. And, and I think that, you know, seniors in places like especially like Richmond Hill and other parts of York region, they have seen their world change. You know, from the time they bought their first home on a quiet Richmond Hill street to a day now of being surrounded by high rises and, and heavy traffic, the world has changed. Uh, and, and they still love Richmond Hill and they still want to stay in Richmond Hill. And, and it can be tough to navigate that, especially on your own. So I guess this could help provide, um, Sort of a transition from the old world into the new world of York Region. Yeah, you're you're so true. Um, you know that that's so such an accurate statement, Kevin. And I'm glad you brought that up. One of one of the things we learned during the COVID uh, was the forced isolation, specifically for senior, because they were at higher risk. So immediately, the government introduced a program around uh, seniors' uh, digital literacy, and it was amazing that we saw 
how, the, again, the youth uh, came in and started, you know, uh, helping seniors remotely via Zoom, via, um, you know, team meetings, and teach them how to use this digital device, their smartphones, their tablets, to use it so they can stay connected. And also that, that helps uh, facilitate the support that the seniors need in the longer term now that the COVID is over, seniors can actually use those learned skills to be able to connect to someone in any organization, whether they need to arrange for a transportation or mm-hmm. they need to, you know, reach out to the pharmacy or they need to be able to ask someone for, for help for a ride, for a transport to, to the appointment that they have. So, so we see that that digital literacy program that initially was supposed to help just deal with the loneliness now has added a tool and a, a skill that the senior is now finding ways to be able to use it in the betterment of their life and getting the support that they needed. And so now what you need, you need organizations and groups to come forward with ideas. Maybe they already have programs in place they could use some funding for. So people are eligible for up to $25,000 in funding. How do they do that? These are grants, which means that you don't have to give it back. And every year for for organization to be able to receive that, the government defines new priorities. So during the summer when the previous year um, uh, recipients, uh, you know, are, are rolling out this program, we, we make a lot of visits and we ask them, how can we improve the program? What is the other priorities that you might need? So every year when we send that feedback back to Ottawa, the new set of priorities kind of are identified. So this year priorities, again, as always, is supporting the healthy aging. Um, of, of the seniors, uh, preventing senior abuse. This is something that we touched on. Celebrating diversity and promoting inclusion. As you know, um, Richmond Health Canada. Now we are we've surpassed 40 million uh, people, and we're we're welcoming everyone from all over the world. And the seniors are aging, and they they really need to feel that they're included, not only as part of their own diaspora, but also as part of the Canadian broader diaspora, and then uh, uh, making sure that we can uh, educate them on supporting financial security. So this year, priority, as I said, priority number one, supporting healthy aging, support priority number two, preventing senior abuse, priority number three, celebrating diversity and promoting inclusion, and priority number four is supporting financial security. And we we work with, um, with organizations to make sure that they understand the priorities, and they, um, we will facilitate sessions between uh, government services and the seniors groups or the organizations so they can ask all connect questions so they can make sure that they fill out the application uh, properly so they can receive this grant. There's been a number of past years that some organization has applied and they use the same criteria as three years ago, and they submitted the same application. Unfortunately, they got rejected because it, the, the, submission, the project that they had defined didn't match the priorities mm-hmm. that the government um, has, has introduced this year as a result of that collective process of reaching out and asking what the, need, uh, what the needs are. So, so uh, I, right, there's so much to it. Uh, such a great program. If you want more information, the best thing to do is to call your office. 
I'll just give the phone number, 905-707-9701 or, or Google uh, Majid Johari, uh, who is the MP for Richmond Hill. Thank you for this time. I appreciate it. Thank you, Kevin, and really appreciate you caring about um, uh, the seniors uh, and what the government is doing for them. After the break, an award-winning musician helping the homeless. Follow us on Twitter at 1059 The Region. Ann Romer and more of the feed after the break. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back to The Feed. I'm Ann Romer. A multi-Juno award-winning producer and musician is adding his voice to the homelessness crisis that continues to grow across the GTA. Details from Glenn Perkins. We don't need a hotel out in space. You know the people out there would be alone. Meanwhile down here, everyone deserves a home. That's Chris Burkett, and everyone deserves a home. Burkett knows firsthand what it's like to live on the streets and to be homeless. The musician, who has worked with numerous artists, including Quincy Jones, Bob Geldof, Sinead O'Connor, and Buffy St. Marie, is using the universal language of music to spread awareness and bring attention to the homeless situation. Everyone deserves a home. It's about the affordable housing crisis here in Canada. The recent survey is cost $2,300 for a one-bedroom apartment in Toronto, which is unaffordable, and it's creating a huge uh, homeless situation. I live down in Queen's Key, Bathurst. We have homeless people putting up tents in our park, just opposite my apartment where I live. I don't, I don't have a problem with that, but it's just it's an indication of there's a problem in society where property, to try and get rent to live somewhere, is way too expensive. And it's, it's kind of creating a... A serious problem. So that's kind of why I wrote this song. And um, our local MPP, Chris Glover, gave me a community service award for my doing this song because it brought to light something which people need to know about. So the song's actually making waves, and it's uh, I think it's making good waves. You know, it's, make, it's helping to make a difference. So and that's what music should be all about, I think. You think in your position as an artist, as a writer, performer, that you can maybe get the message across to the public where politicians cannot? Yes, precisely. I, I call it the universal language of music. And, you know, I, you probably don't know this, but I produced the last five albums for Buffy St. Marie, and she's been my mentor in all this. She's taught me how to write meaningful lyrics. You know, me and Buffy have got uh, four Junos and a Polaris Prize, and I recently got um, a Canadian Screen Award for Best Sound on a Documentary. I've picked up a lot of, uh, you know, award stuff from, from my work with Buffy, and uh, she she taught me, you know, how to write great lyrics. So check, check it out. Check the song Everyone Deserves a Home. It's up there on YouTube with a really good video. Filmed at Trillian Park, near Ontario Place. And uh, the message is really clear if you listen to it. What is it going to take to change this situation? You mentioned rents in Toronto and across the GTA are high. We have people who have mental health issues who are living on the streets. What is it going to take to solve these issues? I think think change has to come from the people upwards. You cannot rely on politicians because, you know, as you know, they're, they're lobbied. So it's hard to get politicians to change anything, but the change can come from the people. So when I, when, I, when I play this song, Everyone Deserves a Home, at concerts, 
I tell people after the song, I said, if you want to make a change, you've got to phone your local MPP or your MP and actually tell them that you're concerned about affordable housing and it, and it has to come down. The cost of living has to come down because it's not in line with what people are earning. And that's creating a big problem. You know, the grocery bills have gone up like, you know, 200% since last year. That's, that's creating a lot of hardship and it's creating a lot of homelessness. And when they changed the mental health laws and they emptied, out, emptied people out in the streets from the mental health institutes, that created a massive homeless problem too. My wife makes documentary films. She does she did stuff for uh, Green Heroes for TVO and all that stuff. And she did Buffy's Life Story. I've done documentaries with I do a sound mixes and everything and the sound for her. Uh, we did a documentary on homelessness and we interviewed people who were homeless but subsequently found affordable housing. And uh, it's unbelievable how their lives change. They suddenly have an address. They can get benefits and they can get food and shelter. As I say in my song, out in the streets, there are no walls. So people see everything they're doing because they're not behind walls. You know, they're just out there in the open. So it creates a bad impression. But, you know, if somebody has an argument in their apartment with their wife, nobody knows about it except the near neighbours. But when they do that, when they're homeless and having an argument, everybody sees it. So it creates a negative impression on, on homeless people. It's not true. Most of them are victims of the system. Open the door. Shaliza Bacchus now with the director of The Real George Michael. George Michael. You can't say the name without thinking about his amazing legacy and his impact on music. Now, he left us a little while ago, but his impact definitely remains. And there's a new documentary called The Real George Michael, which is now streaming on a number of platforms, including Amazon Prime. And joining me now to talk about this is not only the director of the film, Simon Napier-Bell, but... You also managed George Michael for a little bit. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Yep. Thank you so much for joining me. So tell us a little bit about this documentary and what it was like working on it, given the experiences that you've had personally with George Michael. Well, you know, I, I managed Wham. So I managed George when he was with Andrew three years, very, very, um, very important years. They were the basis of everything which built his, he built his career on and knew him very well indeed. When you manage people, you do get to know people extremely well when you manage them. Thereafter, I didn't manage him when he went solo. I chose not to, but watched him as you would watch a close relative or an old friend or a school friend or something throughout his career. After he died, I saw several movies come out which were really not very good. There were that sort of brash type of documentary with a commentary, which is telling you what George did next and what he was thinking, when of course they had no idea. And I thought it was time to make a film which really got into him and showed his real self and how his own personality interacted with the art he created. I mean, it sounds a bit pretentious, but it's not at all. It was a matter of getting people who knew him and worked with him, our friends, relatives, songwriters, Rufus Wainwright, Stevie Wonder, all these people, to come and talk about what it was like knowing George and working with him, and then string everything they said together as a, as a continuous piece of film. So there was no commentary other than what these people said. For me, it, it created a very accurate picture of what I thought it I didn't speak in the film, but um, what came out of it is pretty much how I find George as well. So it's definitely a project you'd say you, you're proud of, and it's definitely different than all of these other little documentaries, quote unquote, that have been released about it. <laughs> 
No, it is very different. I mean, everybody's coming. We've had fantastic reaction. I mean, especially from the fans. I mean, George has hundreds of thousands of fans. There are but maybe a hundred different Facebook sites and literally hundreds of thousands of fans. And, and really, they all of them. I mean, I, we haven't heard a single negative about it at all. We had 44 hours of, of interviews and we got, had to get it down to 90 minutes, which was wow. the basic length for the film. But it, it was extraordinary talking to all these people, you know, and... I didn't find anyone had a bad thing to say about him. I mean, even people who had big arguments with him and quarrelled and things, but, you know, quarrelled in a business-like or, or, or a professional way, you know, the microphone wasn't right or they'd set it up wrong. No one had a bad word for him. I mean, they, they all agreed that he was the ultra-professional. Ultra but we talked with Stevie Wonder for an hour. You know, I don't know, 30 seconds goes into the film. That's the nature of making films, and you sort of regret you can't put it all in there. Yeah, I can only imagine what it would have been like to talk to Stevie Wonder for such a long time. I'm sure you wouldn't even want to stop talking to Stevie. What are some of the biggest takeaways from this documentary and some of your favorite parts to watch and to create? It works as a whole, because you may have seen a lot of the little bits in it here and there, uh, but there are some great things in there. There are some interviews and, and TV stuff which nobody seems to have seen. They're, they're not completely unavailable because I found them, but a lot of people haven't seen them. There was an extraordinary interview he did with an Australian interviewer in the middle of the Faith Tour. The man had, <laughs> had no respect for George at all. That's fair enough. Interviewers don't necessarily have to have respect. They're meant to get to the root of things. But George, you know, did his preparation at the makeup room, came and sat down in front of the camera, and the very first question the guy asked is, George, are you gay? And it sort of threw George, you could see that. It wasn't the question he expected, and, and asked in a very sort of blunt and nasty way. And George was silent for a second, and then he said, no, I'm not. And you, you could see in his eyes that he wished he hadn't said that. He said, you could see him say, ah, damn it, it came out wrong. I should have just said, yes, so what, you know? And then he sort of corrected himself a bit, said, you know, I don't see why it's any of your business. And, but, you know, that was probably the moment when he most would have wanted to come out. The Faith Tour was almost over. He created this new image. It didn't matter very much. And really from that moment on, I think he was waiting for the moment when he could come out uh, or when he felt comfortable coming out. But it's an extraordinary thing to catch on film because you can see this, ah, damn it, got it wrong sort of look in his eyes as he said it. And I feel like that was definitely a different time. You know, it wasn't quite as easy to come out as it is now. So he definitely paved the way for a lot of people as well. Well, I mean, it was a very difficult time because you see it was the height of AIDS. And if you were reading the popular media, the popular media pretty well said anyone who's gay is going to get AIDS and anyone who gets AIDS is going to die. And they said at that stage you could get AIDS by touching a gay person or being near them. And so for a gay star to come out, you know, the whole point about being a rock star or a pop star is, is you have all these fans who want to rush towards you and, and touch you and pull your hair and touch your jacket. For someone to come out and say they're gay in that situation is a very challenging thing to do. And I think that's one of the things which delayed George in saying it. But nevertheless, I mean, it, it happened not exactly as he planned in the end, but... Um, by that time, actually, everyone around him knew he was gay. You know, when you're when you're gay and you come out, this is it isn't really a sudden moment. You tell your friends, and then you tell more friends, and then tell your family. Probably the last people you tell are the media, which is what happened with George. Well, this definitely sounds like an amazing documentary. Once again, it's called The Real George Michael, and it's now available to stream on a number of platforms, including Amazon Prime. Simon Napier Bell, thank you so much for joining me. This has been an amazing conversation. Great. Lovely talking to you. Thank you. 
If you missed any part of the feed, please go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you so much for listening.